Recording in progress. Welcome to Highway Diary. I'm your host, Eric Hollerbach. With me for the third time, the Synchro Mystic, Dr. Christopher Knowles. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Doing this, good. this is episode 316 of Highway Diary. The topic for today, reliable narrators of the Empire's narrative. Hmm, the Empire's narrative, that's all I care about. It seems like the wheels are coming off the carnival ship. The carnival. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, even when I read the same story, there's different headlines. And ABC News ran with this. The IRS warns of thieves trying to steal money and personal information. Uh Uh-oh. The IRS is telling you, don't watch out for these scammers. Well, Fox has the same story. IRS warns of a new 2021 tax scammers. They're very active and very creative. I thought the IRS was the problem. I thought the IRS was the scam artist. Well, I'll tell you something. Every time I hear about like some big hack, you know what I mean? Especially some hack of some site or some server or something that the establishment looks scans at for one reason or another. I, I always just think like, you know, oh, some anonymous group takes credit for it, but you always just got to figure it's probably like an inside job with the NSA, you know, uh, doing away with um, these troublesome, troublesome dissenters and so on. I mean, I'm not defending these people who get hacked or whatever, because I don't really know too much about it, but when you hear, I just heard that that server, what they called Epic, I guess they host Gab and some other things. I was reading about how they were hacked, you know, by quote-unquote anonymous, and I'm sure they were just hacked by somebody inside the government, and the information was just fed to these sort of turf, astroturf hacking groups. Um, I mean, again, I'm not defending this epic server, or, you know, or any of the sites that are on it. I'm just saying that it just seems very fishy to me that their, their security would be so lax that a bunch of sort of like non-binary, pink-haired, uh, anime unicorn freaks would be able to get into their uh, holy of holies. Yeah. Well, they can guess the password, you know. They, they, yeah. <laughs> they, they, know the, they know the safe word of the elite, so it's usually... Yeah, it's, it, it, it's like 1995 and people are just using password as password, or password123 or something. You know, <laughs> you know these servers with these uh, sort of edgy boy sites, you know, they just totally lax about their uh, security, because why wouldn't they be, right? Um, I, uh, we first met face-to-face. It's good to uh, meet people face-to-face so, to know that they're not uh, archons, clones, holograms, like we met, you know? And, uh, well, Sam Tripoli thinks I'm Nephilim, so. Do you think I'm Nephilim? You're pretty tall. <laughs> You're pretty gangly. I wasn't expecting you to be four inches taller than me. I'll be honest about that. Um, you, you know, you took me through a Masonic cemetery, you know, very, very creepy, very ominous. Um, do you have a, uh, but I notice little ticks about your, uh, I don't know, OCD, mental illness. I was like, at, <laughs> at Lord Sterling Park, when I was just a little boy with a notebook and a recorder, and I was waving to you at the front, and then you were like, oh, that was you, and I guess you, we didn't meet yet. 
But then it's, uh, you know, this podcast recording got changed, um, you know, sort of last minute. Do you have an avoidance issue? Are you going crazier in the lockdown? Or is your symptoms kind of popping up more, your OCD symptoms, as the, the, the grip of the elites is kind of having a stranglehold on America? Uh, not really, because I've, you know, I've been a freelance artist for, gosh, 20, I went freelance in 1995, so I spent a lot of time alone, I, you know, I, I was social distancing before social distancing was cool, and uh, <laughs> I really don't go, I don't like to travel, I don't like to go places, I, I like I like where I live. <laughs> I like the atmosphere where I live. It's very conducive to my mental health. So um, I don't know. I, it's more the I don't know if it's anxiety so much as it is anticipation. Like what what do they get planned next? But yeah. I also don't think that they calculated in the kind of pushback that we're starting to see. I mean, we're having um, anti-vaccine passport. Uh, protests in New York now, which is rather shocking. Because you, know, you, you figure that New York would be their home turf, and it would be like a safe space for uh, for bootlickers, but apparently it isn't. So, and you know, the Australia, France. I mean, the French are kicking ass. I mean, they are totally up in arms. Uh, you know, we had this whole thing after the Gulf, uh, with the Gulf War and the 9/11. It's like, oh, cheese eating surrender monkeys. And it's like, you know. Screw you, the French are um, much more up in arms and out in the streets than Americans are. So. They, they have five weeks off, they have free health care, free college, and they're still pissed. You know, we don't have shit here and we're docile. What's with that? Well, I'll tell you something. It almost seems like, you know, all these countries, so say France. I mean, France were like, I mean, they still got a really ridiculously powerful army. That's something that people forget about France. And, and they also have, like, sort of quasi-colonies all over the world still. But, you know, France was the Gauls, you know? And it, then it was the Franks, and, you know, these are some really hardcore tribes, warrior tribes, you know, that, that formed that country. So this, like, a spirit in the, in the fabric, the very fabric of that country that is kind of kick-ass, you know? It's... Uh, and, and, of course, like, um, you know, my ancestors, the Normans up in Normandy there, they were just, you know, Viking pirates who just settled up there. And so I think there's something in the blood that just maybe rises up in reaction to all this kind of nonsense that's going on. Yeah, so, like I they mean, have a they have a herd immunity to tyranny. Well, you know, and the British, too. I mean, see, the, the thing about the British is that they were really... Um, Throughout the 80s and, and into the early 90s, I mean, the British were just constantly rioting. Um, I mean, a lot of it was over stupid stuff like, you know, soccer games and stuff. But, the, you know, they rioted against the poll tax. I mean, there were a lot of things that they would be rioting against and, and getting up in arms about, um, you know, government tyranny and so on. And they sort of got pacified by Tony Blair, the demon from the Black Lodge. So... You know, it's hard to say, but I, I think that free reaction is an equal and opposite reaction. I think people are really starting to react because we've been told so many different stories 
you know, about this whole situation that we're living under. They keep changing the narrative. They can't seem to decide on which lie to tell. And they're also putting out, like, just phenomenally incompetent people like Fauci. I mean, see, one of the problems when you get to a sort of a totalitarian atmosphere, like you have in the federal government at the moment, where everybody is afraid to tell the truth, it reminds me very much of, like, you know, how the famine started in uh, the Ukraine or, you know, under Mao's China, because you have to constantly, you know, if you're in the government now, you have to constantly lie to your superiors that everything is going the way that they want it to go, or, you know, they really screw you, you know, they, they cancel you, or they just, I mean, sometimes they'll kill you, you know what I mean? So everybody's terrified to tell anybody above them the truth, right? And that's what happened, that's what caused the famines and caused the, um, you know, all these things that happened in, in these totalitarian countries, because totalitarianism, like, like we have, they're not necessarily among the populace, but certainly among the, um, you know, what I call the bootlickers, the people who are close to the power structure. Um, they are all living under complete totalitarianism, and they, they're all in this constant state of terror that everything is going to be taken away from them, so they constantly lie. So I think that's one of the problems when they're trying to roll out this, this whole agenda, is that the people who can thrive under that, or just merely survive under that kind of regimen, are people who are, are weak and docile and go along to get along, you know, they just sort of surrender to the, to the will of who's ever calling the shots, but they're also incompetent. And I think that's, you know, one of the interesting things that I think is firing this, this uprising is the, the absolute incompetence of, like, the people in the media. I mean, look at all the people on CNN and, you know, the, the network news. I mean, they're all idiots, you know. They're not, it's not like the old days when you had people who had a, sort of a voice of authority, like Walter Cronkite or Peter Jennings. I mean, now it's like, you know, Anderson Cooper and Brian Stelter. I mean, whoever, you know, little potato man, little freaky uh, Pennywise man. So I think the fact that these kind of atmospheres that they're creating, this totalitarianism that is definitely the operant structure, it's the operant mode among people who work in the media, academia, I mean, all these knowledge-based industries and so on, I mean, they're all living on a complete reign of terror, so they, they can't tell the truth if the truth is, is unpalatable to their superiors. And I, I think that that is going to just accelerate the collapse and the downfall. It, it reminds me of uh, reminds me of the Ellen DeGeneres show. You know, um, you can't say to her, that's not funny, or you can't say to her, you're being abusive, or you can't say to her, stop being a bully, because she's the top. She'll just fire you, and then, then you can't even play the game anymore. Something called narcissistic personality disorder, when the... the so if everyone in government has narcissistic personality disorder where they can't hear the truth, they can't hear information that goes against their narrative, then you have a den of liars running everything, and they're just, uh, you know, t they don't have the confidence to uh, say what they really believe. Well, it's, it's, we've seen it over and over again in history. And it's interesting that you brought up the Ellen DeGeneres thing, too. Because, I mean, I don't think she's just narcissistic personality disorder. I think she's actually a sociopath. Um, if not, in fact, a psychopath. So she was able to 
um, thrive and rise to the top with extremely limited skills, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I don't know who finds her funny or charming or personable, um, but you know, she played the game and she had the right connections and the right identity. And that's the problem when you know you have things like network television, when you have clusters of identity groups and interest groups move in, start very low positions, move their way up, and start to get into situations where they can dictate like, oh, like an Ellen's going to be a celebrity now. Even though she's incredibly abusive, she's um, not talented, uh, she's just a mean and nasty person to the people under her. And then what happens, and this is an interesting thing that happens, so a lot of the people who go along, you know, the bootlicker types, will go along for a certain period of time and they'll suppress all their anger and they'll suppress all their fear and they'll suppress all their resentment. And then what happens is that it just, it doesn't even like simmer to a boil, it just explodes. You know, these people who are working in these, you know, say like people working at CNN or PBS or any kind of like really super far left um, network or something, they're just going to swallow their anger, they're going to swallow their resentment and their fear, and then they, it, it's just going to explode. And I'm afraid what we're working towards, what we're headed towards, is a situation where all these people who basically are doing all the work that you know keeps these operations running um, are suppressing their resentment and their anger, and then it's just going to become an explosive situation, and it's going to explode without warning. And this is this, this is something I'm ever very afraid of. See, because I'm not a radical person. I'm very much, you know, go along to get along. Every, you know, just live and let live. I don't like people getting angry <laughs> and doing radical things, but I also don't like authoritarianism and tyranny. So, I, but I'm just like. My attitude is like, you know, this is a big, huge world. There's enough for everybody. There's more than enough for everybody in this world, you know. Um, everybody should have what they need and, and what they want. And, but it's just like this human virus that takes over where it's like people need to control and dominate others just to feel better about themselves. Yeah, so you're I, a hippie. You're a hippie, Chris knows. And, <laughs> and my, 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 strategy, my survival strategy during COVID, the politicians are lying, is what my strategy was. I, I realized that I, if I put bacon on, on racks in, in my oven, I could get crispy bacon, but also then I render the fat from this. And I rendered bacon fat and I started making popcorn every night. And so I'm, I'm stress-eating, bacon-laced popcorn, stress-eating, and then I, I gained 45 pounds in three days. So that's my strategy. <laughs> so we all have strategies, coping mechanisms. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a, you know, a healthy strategy. What are you talking about? You know, I'm no, I'm packing on <laughs> for survival in case there's a food shortage. That's my yes. strategy. Um, so you'll you'll have body fat for your you know your system to consume. I, I understand. It's it's like the caveman days. You know you've got to you've got to stock up for the winter when there's uh, you know and the animals had, are all in hibernation. We had a snowstorm here in Texas. So what what am I to believe now? Um, but what I what I do where I go for information is the Secret Sun blog, August 19, twenty twenty one. You wrote. We're also experiencing a catastrophic demographic implosion all across the industrialized world to the point that thousands of schools will be shuttered 
to the coming decades. IQ is dropping and dropping and autism spectrum disorders are exploding worldwide. And just to plop a cherry on top of our shit Sunday, intersectionalists, lunatics dominating the education system are conditioning today's students, already rendered listless and unmotivated by technology and pharmacology. That work ethics are patriarchal and math and science are racist. I agree. Like the man said, Bill Hicks, this is just a ride. A thrill ride in the coming days to be sure. But you've been here before and you will be here again. The question is, how do you choose to ride it this time around? Hmm. Do you think we'll be judged when we die at some kind of pearly gates and we have to go back and learn lessons? Is America, is America the world... Are we just learning spiritual lessons from the government? Do, do, the, do the royal elite bankers think that they're gods that need to teach lessons and test out the peasants, beta test the peasants of how much tyranny and world, new world order things they can get away with? Are they playing a game? I, I, I don't even think that that calculated. I, I think that there were plans written up in, say, like the 18th and 19th century, these just total pie-in-the-sky plans that were written up for world government and world federation and all this kind of stuff. And they became religious dogma, you know? Even though every time they were tested, they failed, right? So I think that what happened is that when you attach yourself to a religious dogma, it kind of gets into your bones, and it's not something that you can work past. It's not something that you can get out of your system. And I think that when you look at somebody like Klaus Schwab, who, I mean, <laughs> I mean, what do you even say about that guy? I mean, he's so clearly a guy who spent his whole entire life drinking the Kool-Aid that he doesn't know anything else. I mean, all these people, they, they're all brought up in the system that had this insane fantasy um, that was, like I said, written up at a much simpler time when you could have you know, an army of 10,000 people controlling a nation, you know, that you didn't have all these different forms of communication and all these kind of things. And you had, you know, populace that was sort of conditioned by religion and, and culture to, to be submissive to, to authority. I mean, we don't have that anymore. So it's a very interesting thing. But, you know, when you read those first two paragraphs, I mean, what that was about was, what I was talking about there, it was like this whole idea that we have reached technological peak and we are now in the downslope. And these whole things with the demographics and the autism and the dropping IQs and so on and so forth, it's like, who's going to be around to fix the machines when they inevitably break? You know, this whole ridiculous fantasy that AI is just going to be self-maintaining, it's going to be like the Matrix, is never going to happen, ever. Ever, ever, ever. It's never going to happen. It's just not the way computers work. I mean, computing power has reached its speed limit. It's reached its zenith, and we are now, you know, everything goes up and everything comes down, and we are now in the downslope. So no, they're gonna, Chris. This is bullshit. They're gonna change our DNA, they're, so that we can get a brain implant, then we can upload consciousness, <laughs> and then we can work for Klaus Schwab. Look, he dresses like a Star Trek character, Emperor or Star Wars, Emperor Palpatine. You know what I mean? So it's just like I think he's got it all figured out. He's clear. He's not a lunatic. And by the way, I know his son. So. Uh, Klaus Schwab Jr. But um, you do I? I heard you guys are pretty tight. We well, it's more of an abusive relationship, to be <laughs> honest. Uh, you know, but anyway, um, but you know, I just think that as long as the pharmaceutical industrial complex has money pumped into it, uh, I think everything's gonna be fine. 
Like a, a Yahoo Finance headline just says the J&J COVID vaccine sales total $2.5 billion in 2021. So look, they got $2.1 billion off the jab. That's the economy, Chris Knowles. That's well, science. Yeah, you know, it's funny because you, you were in this area for a while. I mean, you know that all these companies that we're talking about are all headquartered here, you know, like Pfizer and J Johnson & Johnson. And I don't know if Moderna is, but they probably are. I mean, uh, Janssen is here. I mean, there's a whole bunch of these uh, major pharmaceutical companies that have either their headquarters or their American headquarters in the state, you know, all in a very small geographic area around you know, Bridgewater and so on. Um, I, again, I mean, I think that there was sort of an agenda being rolled out here, but, you know, as, as I said the other day, it's like Mike Tyson once said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And once you have, you can have the greatest plan for, for a battlefield strategy, but the other side always gets a vote. And I don't know if these people just exist in these bubbles, you know, where they just go from Davos to Bilderberg to, you know, this conference to that conference to Jackson Hole to Bohemian Grove, and they never really see conditions on the ground and what they really look like, you know, because they just exist in this bubble of privilege, you know. Yeah, and that's why I just feel like when their whole plan, the DNC's whole plan was just get creepy Joe in to smell hair. And then Hillary Clinton or her clone is just going to be like eating a bowl of babies like behind Joe Biden. Like, you know what I mean? And then <laughs> look at what happens to Afghanistan. It's like their, their whole goal is power. And then they're just so incompetent and lazy and stupid. And ugh. That's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly what imbalance of power creates. You know, it's like people go, well, what are your politics? And it's like, well... My politics are so pie in the sky that they're never going to happen. But in a real world setting, I believe in balance of power. You know, you have to have all these power structures fighting with each other so they'll leave the rest of us alone. You know, this is something I've been saying for a long time, and it's, it's something that I really believe. It's like the only way we get some breathing room is when power structures are battling each other for dominance. Because A, they're too busy to screw with us, and B, you know, they'll, they'll throw some scraps from the table you know, once in a while to keep us on their side. So I think that with, with Biden, I, 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 you know, I don't, it's so surreal because, listen, I'm, old, I'm 20 years older than you, right? And I've been around a long time, and I've been kind of aware for a long time. Of, you know, I, I always like paying attention to the news when I was a pre-teenager, you know? And um, <clears throat> I've never seen anything like this Biden thing. It's just surreal. The man is clearly in like the middle stages of, of Alzheimer's. Uh, and I don't know what they're giving him. I, I, I just, you know, for the 20 minutes a day that they need him to be cogent, they're probably pumping him with all kinds of pharmaceuticals, you know. Uh, I, I would imagine one of them would be Cyprexa, um, Adderall, you know, stimulants, all these different kinds of medications that they'll give people who have Alzheimer's so they can be moderately lucid. But he's fading very quickly, and he's got, it seems like he's got a bunch of really stupid people in his, his White House. So, yeah, it is all going rather tits up. And I don't, you know, 
I hear all these like conspiracy people going, oh, you know, they planned Afghanistan for this reason or that reason. It's like, no, they didn't. <laughs> no, they didn't. That's just their arrogance and, like you said, their laziness and, and their sense of entitlement where they think they can just waltz around and, and people will obey everything that they dictate to them. And, and the, the irony is of it is that, you know, Biden was out there making these uh, veiled threats to, to people like, oh, well, what, what good are your guns going to do? We have planes and, and missiles and stuff. And it's like, well, what good did that do you in Afghanistan, you know? So, uh, well, even I, look, even look at why they got in there. They go, it was 9-11. It was Operation Iraqi Freedom. It was we dropped the bombs on them for their own safety. And then they're just stealing lithium and opium. And then it's like uh, they, they, they're not competent enough, even back after their favorite false flag of 9-11. They're not competent enough to keep the story of why they're there. And then what? So if there's no narrative for the soldiers to go, OK, my mission today is what? Or I should watch out for who? Or I should do, you know, oh, that guy's my enemy, but he's my friend because he's guarding the poppy field with me. It's like, you know, when you lie on your way in, then you got to lie on your way out. And it's just, uh, there's a entropy to lies. You have to keep m more and more lies uh, going. Well, well, one thing, you know, I'll tell you something. One thing that I've always been keeping an eye on, and this is since the 90s, is it this whole idea of like the Earth Island and it's this whole idea of like the Central Asia being this conduit between Europe and you know the Far East, Asia, China, you know, the powers, economic powers of the of Asia, such as India and China and stuff. But you know, really what it is is that Asia and Europe are really one continent, just one giant continent. The, the, the line separating the two is just utterly imaginary, you know? It's just like the Caucasus Mountains sort of splitting up, going up from like the Black Sea northward. It's it's an imaginary line. There's, there's no difference. So the, the, the battles were always going to be over, like, like you said, like the rare earth, the lithium, uh, you know, the opium. I mean, look at how like this country was just absolutely flooded with uh, opioids and fentanyl and all these kind of things after the Taliban were deposed and it was actually the Taliban who were uh, burning the poppy fields and so on and so forth. So it is all just, you know, real politic. But the problem is, is that with the media the way it is now, it's so diffuse and, and so decentralized that it's very hard to maintain narratives. And that's why they sort of have to come up with these things like, well, if you question anything, you're a conspiracy theorist. And now it's like you're QAnon. I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe this. I was reading like people were saying that Nicki Minaj was QAnon now. And I'm thinking like, are you insane? Are you literally insane? Are you just uh, desperate to, to stamp out any um, disagreement? No, she puts shot glasses on her booty. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, come on already. And it's like anybody who... But this is no, the, that's this 5D chess. It's 5D chess. The shot glass yeah, is on a Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know, that's the other thing. I mean, don't get me started on the Q thing. Yeah, because I just... Listen, I, I don't have anything against Q people. I do have something against the people who are running that whole operation. Because as, as a friend of mine said, rather astutely, he said the whole thing was a pacification operation. You yeah. know, just a classic pacification. Like, sit back, trust the plan, don't do... You know, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, that's a whole other different conversation. 
But, um, you know, with the fact that there are other voices sort of entering the fray, it's, it's interesting to see how desperate the people in the CNNs and the New York Times and uh, the MSNBCs and so on are to not only protect their jobs, but also to protect the narrative. And they're getting very, very nasty about it, you know? And it's like, it took eight months for that sort of wing of the de Democratic Party to go from like pussy hat bill to being like almost completely Nazi now. You know, like shove these people in camps and, and let them starve to death. I mean, you're seeing this kind of talk all over Twitter and all over Reddit and stuff with all these pussy hat resistance types. Like, all of a sudden they're like, you know, they think they have a, a monopoly on power, but it's, a, it's an illusion. And it's an illusion, I think, that's going to come crashing down very quickly. And it's going to be bad for all of us. And this is why it's like, you know, yeah, I am mean, this kind of like hippy-dippy, let's everybody get along, because I've read enough history to understand the consequences of not getting along, you know? I mean, they're pretty dire, and they always have been dire, you know? Well, I, I think that the New York Times, they pay good medical insurance. And so, you know, when you're protecting, when you're typing up propaganda for the empire, then you need a therapist and then you need, <laughs> and you need a dog psychologist and then you need a group counselor because uh, your conscience and, you know, you went to school for real journalism and slowly they go, but what if you push this bullshit? But what if you push this bullshit? And after, you know, five years of doing this for the Empire, I mean, the New York Times, CIA, I mean, the New York Times, not the CIA, the New York Times. <laughs> Two totally separate institutions. You start to go, you start to have a crisis of consciousness, and then you need more and more medical insurance. And those are the only guys who have it. So it's just, um, you know, I think if they would tell the truth, then they would need less, less mental health care. And they would be less neurotic, the New York Times staff. You know what I mean? No, I do know what you mean. And I, I wonder how much of it is like they're desperate to get everybody vaccinated because they're paranoid about, you know, getting back on the, their uh, pickup apps and getting getting infected. Well, they have they change their genders all the time, so they, they need different the new app with the with the correct freaks in their genre. The well, you know, I, let me tell you something though. I'm glad you brought that up because it's like. I've been saying this a lot. It's like, I think all these people who like invent these genders and these sexualities that are just absolutely contrived, I think they're just basically incels. You know, I, I, I don't think that people who actually have sex with other human beings you know, will call themselves like, I don't know, like a troll sexual or something, just some absurd nonsense or, you know, these ridiculous genres, I mean, uh, pronouns. I think these people are, mostly weird kids who aren't getting laid and are kind of getting driven crazy by it so they create this whole fantasy narrative about how you know they, they're having sex with um, sprites and, and sylphs in, in the nether realms you know yeah and then they they get autism from jabs and then they collect pokemon cards and then that that wires into their sexuality and uh whatever um, can I talk about the Secret Sun blog real quick? Uh, August oh, 11th. Please do. <laughs> please 
Please do. I'm oh, sorry. I've, um, I, I will come out later at the end of this episode, as um, and I will identify as a different Pokemon sexual. But we'll, we'll get that. All, that's a cliffhanger. But the Secret Sun blog, August 11, 2021, you wrote an article, Superheroes Enter Their Final Death Throes. I got my master in screenwriting. I'm watching Hollywood. That's, that's my gravy train. But you say the movie industry's finished. How much more propaganda? Uh, oh, but yeah, you said it. Is the movie industry finished? How much propaganda can the Federal Reserve pay without popcorn eaters in the theaters? Oh, that's my narrative. Tell me about uh, is the is the movie industry over? Uh, it's the movie. The movie industry as we knew it is over. Absolutely, and the movie industry as we knew it, which is kind of like the post Exodus, post Jaws post-Star Wars, blockbuster economy, that's definitely over. Um, the last genre that was kind of keeping that propped up was, was the Marvel superheroes. Uh, and now, but now everybody sort of thinks that after Endgame, that's all over. And, you know, everybody's trying to say that, oh, um, Shang-Chi is a hit and everything, but it's like, yeah, it's made $135 million domestic. I mean, that's not a hit, you know, when Ant-Man was making 300 million domestic. I mean, you're on a sliding scale because these are supposed to be the movies that everybody goes to see. That's sort of the last unifying cultural artifact in, in America where everybody goes, oh, yeah, I saw Endgame or I saw Ragnarok or whatever, you know. People could all sort of coalesce around that. And that's definitely on the, on the out right now. I mean, we've had a lot of these movies underperform. And the thing is, is that these movies can't afford to underperform because they're so incredibly expensive. Um, you know, for instance, uh, so Shang-Chi apparently has made, I guess, uh, it's made like $135 domestic million dollars, right? Well, first of all, that movie cost $200 million to produce. And then it cost, I don't know, anywhere from like $100 million to $200 million for all the other stuff, you know, the prints and the promotion and all these kind of things that get tacked on. So these movies need to make more than their promotional, I mean, their public, the, uh, the, the, their production uh, budget because there are so many add-ons, there's so many expenses that they need to cover and they're not covering them. And I think there are two things that are happening. One is that people have kind of broken the, the habit, you know, not only because of COVID and everything, but just because it's gotten so expensive uh, to go to the movies now and, you know, this pumping out all this bilge, you know, all this woke trash that, you know, people are going to be find offensive. And also the, the problem is that they're just running out of material. You know? they're, they're kind of at the point now where they've exhausted the superhero genre all around, you know, both Marvel and DC and, and whoever else, the, the genre is exhausted, it's been done to death, and people are just moving on, people are just tired of it. They, the same thing is happening, I mean, it happened to the Westerns, happened to uh, science fiction, you know, rom-coms, you've had all these sub-genres and genres rise up within the, this blockbuster system, and sort of have that turn it back. But people just get tired of it, you know? I mean, look at how you have movies like Sleepless in Seattle, or You Got Mail, or, you know, John Cusack was making money hand over fist doing all these sort of, you know, middling but profitable rom-coms and everything like that. 
I mean, people are tired of that genre. So it's, everything is just cycled through. And again, this is another thing like we're saying with the government. It's like wokeness has infected Hollywood to the point that people are afraid to step out of line. And if you're not stepping out of line, you're not being creative, you know? Because George Lucas stepped out of line when he came up with you know, Star Wars. Nobody thought that movie was going to make money. Nobody thought that movie was going to do anything. And when he, when he said to Fox, he said, okay, well, you know, I'll take this much money, but I want control of all the, the licensing. Fox was like, yeah, good luck. <laughs> you know, take all you want. We don't care, you know? And then he made billions of dollars off of Star Wars toys. So um, you gotta, you got to have rule breakers. you got to have people who, like, don't even know the rules, and they, they, they break them because they don't even know them. You know, or, or, or Stanley Kubrick, who knew the rules, he and he broke the rules, and then they killed them for <laughs> eyes wide shut. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I was uh, listening. To, you know, I'm a big X Files freak, and I was listening to this um, interview with you know the guy who's the executive producer, who's just basically doing all the actual production work up in in Vancouver. And he said, you know, you know what made that show is that he said Chris Carter was like a young guy who didn't have a lot of experience and didn't know what you, you, you weren't supposed to do. He didn't know that you couldn't do this on a television budget. He didn't know that you couldn't do this, you know, on a weekly television schedule. He didn't know what you couldn't do. So he wrote these scripts and we did them. And that's what I'm saying. It's like when you have this totalitarian mindset that has taken over the entire um, you know, what they call the gentry class, which would be all the, the clerical workers, so to speak. Um, when, those, when that kind of thinking takes over, nothing creative is going to get done. So nothing creative is going to come out of Hollywood. And their only answer for creativity is like, well, let's make Superman black and gay. You know, that's it. Yeah. They, that, that's their idea. Because well, they have not hold on, Chris. To be fair to them, they, they got that idea from huddling around a pentagram cutting each other into goblets, making, <laughs> making combos into the goblet, you know, until it, then, you know, the black gay El Diablo came out of the fire. So it was like, you know, they had the, the right motivation. They're not creepy weirdos, you know. They're, they're trying to find out what well, the archons know, want. You know, it, but it's funny because I just realized that, like, Satanism is, Satanism is the new Scientology. You know, like, Satanism is what, like, Scientology used to be in Hollywood for like young people to kind of join this cult, so to speak, where they can kind of look out for each other and give each other work. And you know, it's the way Scientology came up. I mean, Scientology sort of moved into Hollywood and they recruited people like uh, Tom Cruise and John Travolta and so on. And they and they the whole sort of ecology arose from that. But I realize now that Satanism. Is the new Scientology, so mm. and, and Satanism. See, Satanism is always a sure sign of collapse and, and decay and death. Mm. You know, the the ultimate outcome of Satanism isn't like you know some frothing devil worshiper. It's always a zombie. I mean, the ultimate product of, of Satanism and all these kind of philosophies and these attitudes is always just like a deadened, a soul deadened, desensitized zombie who just ends up killing themselves because they can't feel anything. That's really what the end result of that is. And that's like, I'm old enough to have seen this and see how this works. You know, a lot of maybe younger people just haven't seen these cycles play out. 
But that's how these people are all going to end up. And I, and I, I don't even think you need to forecast it. I, I think you can see it happening already. Um, well, I, uh, I get a lot of information from Klaus Schwab Jr.'s Instagram, and he spoke about uh, propaganda, and uh, so let's go to Klaus Schwab Jr.'s Instagram here. Hello, my peasants on Instagram. It is your favorite oligarch, Klaus Schwab Jr. I just want to remind everybody to watch the big blockbuster movies because they have really good Illuminati messaging on when you absorb propaganda, have popcorn with the MSG monosodium glutamate to make the popcorn and the propaganda go down. Also, if you want to send me nude photographs for blackmails, you can send nudes to Klaus Schwab Jr. at PortalMails.com. Thank you. I don't know how the blackmail operates. I don't know. This he's a really he's a lunatic guy, Klaus Schwab Jr. He's not a pleasant person. But he said something interesting there that when you were talking about the two hundred million dollar movie that only makes one hundred thirty five million back, it's not to me the messaging. They'll lose hundreds of millions of dollars to get the right message out there. To their bizarro um, religion is is put in CGI and per and you know put out there. I think there's, it's like a military industrial complex propaganda, gain of function propaganda to enslave the slaves on nonsense and fantasy. I think that they're, they're okay to take a loss on that. Yeah, but there's only so much you can lose. You know, and, and I think that, I mean, I understand that way of thinking, but I think how that's going to work now is that, you know, they're going to have all these shows on WB or what is it, the CW now or on Netflix, you know, like just really cheesy cut rate stuff. And it's going to have a very low budget and it's going to have actors who are getting paid next to nothing and writers who are getting paid next to nothing, you know, so they can keep the propaganda running. But I think that, again, this is something that I really find troubling. It's just this idea that, you know, we're, you know, we're dealing with super beings, these invincible super beings who are just limits a lot, limitless amounts of money and patience and are, are just impervious to the to market forces and stuff and it's just not true you know it's just not true it's like when you're dealing on that scale that economic scale you know gravity just takes over i mean you can't continue to lose massive amounts of money the way they have and this is why we're just seeing this you know this huge slowdown in in the blockbusters and we're starting to see you know much cheaper kinds of movies taking their place and the few blockbusters that are kind of left are getting you know such a huge push now i mean look at dune they've been pushing dune for, for two years and i mean i'm a huge dune fan uh you know i'm just a fan of the whole concept of dune so i'm, I'm looking forward to the movie but it's like i'm almost kind of sick of it now because they've just been hyping it so much you know so but they have to. They have no choice. It's like Shang-Chi, I would be very surprised if you see another Shang-Chi movie made. And again, you can get the messaging across and Disney has a lot of power and they can, they can get all the uh, pseudo critics on side, like all these idiots that have like blogs that five people read but somehow you know, get a, a private place on Rotten Tomatoes or something. I mean, you, you know, those people are very easy to buy off. And you can sort of fudge around with the, um, 
the grosses and stuff and you kind of make it look like you know movies are hits when they're not really hits and they do a lot of block block buying and stuff you know like certain theaters you know people this is when captain marvel came out um and people would go to the theater you know it sat on like fandango and stuff that was always sold out and they go to the theater and nobody's there so there are a lot of sort of tricks you can play but it's like the, the test here is going to be do they make another shang chi movie do they make another shang chi movie for 200 million dollars you know are they going to make another captain marvel movie um you know just on and on and on because the hype machine has you believe that they they just have limitless amounts of money and just throw whatever they want and then so the conspiracy machine comes in it's just like oh well you know it's just the messaging is so important you know i mean they have other ways of delivering the messaging now they don't need the uh the hollywood blockbusters anymore yeah now they have directed energy weapons and they can shoot messaging at your face if you have nanobots in your brain everyone knows that um but uh <laughs> i talked with uh charlie robinson i think he's our mutual friend uh, about lawn milo Duquette. speaking of peak satanism just like a dot-com bubble bursting um there's an archon of satanism called lawn milo Duquette, and we had a conversation about this person and then I had a conversation with Charlie Robinson about this person, and then this person moved right after my podcast came out because I named the address. But anyway, uh, this is uh, Lon Milo Duquette. This comes from Highway Diary, episode 289. Um, so anyway, there's 11 levels of the OTO. For your house to be on the official OTO website as a church and have tax-free status... Um, I, don't, I think it's like more than a LARP. You're holding this position. Given a script, and there's like two dudes in the room, and it's like Peter touches Paul's shoulder and consoles him. And then, so then they watch you do this play. Uh, Peter's hand starts to drift downward uh, just to see if you're, oh, I'm playing the character of Peter in OTO Initiation 1. Now, and they just see how much gay stuff they can get you to do to perform. Uh, but anyway, and then it gets worse and worse and worse. Now, for Lon to have the 11th degree, I mean, just imagine what he was subjected to, if only once. And Chris Knowles saying, oh, he's LARPing, uh, he's a live-action role-play, he's like doing Dungeons and Dragons, only he makes it like real in his head. I'm like, I think it's worse than that. So you, when we talk, you said he's LARPing, and I just don't agree. I think he's holding this position ordained by the Queen of England to be this uh, Crowley uh, meme, this embodiment of Crowley. Listen, I, I can't speak to that. I don't have any evidence of that. You know, I, I sort of watched that guy on Facebook for a while. I think we were friends for a while. You know, this is back when I was on Facebook, and I just had friends who weren't my friends, you know, it's like, I was kind of using it as like a promotional tool and I was just, anybody who sent me a friend request or whatever, I'd accept. But anyway, the point is, is like, I don't know, I just don't see that guy as being anything but just sort of a goofball, you know, and, and I don't want to, you know, cast aspersions on somebody, you know, for these dark deeds if, if I have no evidence of it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Listen, I could I could be totally wrong. I'm just saying that I've just never seen any evidence that this guy's just like a kind of goofball, aging hippie larper. You know, I mean, he doesn't trouble me. It troubles me. It troubles me that 
the ninth degree. So Aleister Crowley wrote in Equinox Volume 2, and the priest thrust his thyrus between boyish buttocks. All is accomplished. Come, holy dove. He's describing trans-Yugathian magic, the tunnels of Typhon entering other dimensions. Well, this creep in Germany, Theodore Rice, shut the book, Equinox 2 closed, got on a boat, found Crowley, and goes, congratulations, you have OTO level 9. And he's like, wow, and he's like, how did you know? And he's like, well, your poem about the laping of the boy. So then, uh, that's how he got this degree earning. And for uh, Lon to go around with the 11th degree and with the power to initiate OTO 9s. And uh, on the OTO website, there's the chapter of Newport Beach, the OTO of Newport Beach. And it's across from a boys and girls club, and it's uh, directly across from the Woodland Elementary School. Well, that's definitely creepy. I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> that's like creepy stuff. This but is listen. the CEO of Creep. Well, listen. Okay. Whatever. I'm just like, I don't have evidence to impugn this guy, is all I'm just saying. Well, you know, I, I, I maybe, but I will admit that I haven't really looked into it because I don't, I don't care. I mean, I think all those, I think all that stuff is just creepy nonsense. So. It's not, I don't, I'm like the kind of person where like if I hate something, I don't spend all my time burying my nose in it because I hate it. You know, I, I have like this kind of avoidance oh. mechanism, you know, if, if something is disgusting to me, I, I don't spend my time researching it. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was like that with like, you know, like when the Pizzagate stuff came up and all this other stuff, I'm just like, that stuff is disgusting. And a lot of times, I think when people sort of obsess on it, it you know, it just kind of makes me wonder, like, what are, you know, what are they really going for here? I had a, uh, no, my insider, my Illuminati insider was pointing hard to this person. That's what put it on my radar. So that's all I'll say about that. Um, well, listen, he may be right, but I'm just saying that I don't have that evidence, so I can't really speak to it. And I'm also saying that, like, I just don't care about those people, you know, I just, I really don't. I think that, you know, there are bigger fish to fry in this world. Um, I talked about, uh, you mentioned the word hopium. I talked, uh, there was an article that came out in State of the Nation about the hopium pushers. Now, this person is my friend. Ben Fulford is my friend. And I talked about him with Charlie Robinson on uh, The Highway Diary. Uh, ben Fulford is a friend of mine. He's been on my podcast eight times. And I do think that he has a minor flaw in his personality where he is hopeful. And, but I don't think that that's a bad thing. I don't think he's a hopium, hope porn artist. It's like, should we shoot ourselves because they're about to roll out this COVID-19 vaccine? Or should we fight? And I think Ben's like, we should fight. So it's not like hope porn. Uh, hope is being rebranded as hopium. So you're a hopium addict if you're optimistic. That's what yeah. this, you know what I mean? So it's tricky territory. What do you say to this? They're playing with words there. I never fell for the Q stuff. I never went down that path. But I do appreciate the fact that it, it was waking some people up and, and getting them sort of awake to the insanity of government. My, my problem with it was that they were immediately diverted into the Republican Party. Now, whether you, now whether you fell for the Q stuff or you didn't, um, we all should have hope, to hold out some hope that things are going to get better. 
you are going to manifest nothing but awfulness in your life or your country or wherever. So that writer, you know, talking about Benjamin Fulford and these guys, and, 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 and I, look, I agree with that list to, to a certain extent. I mean, there are some people on there that are straight up pathological liars. Like, David Wilcock is out of his fucking mind. I mean, he, he, that dude is talking about stuff that is nonsense and has been for a long time. He has got a grift going. So, you know, I look at that guy and I go, yeah, he's, 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 he's a hopium pusher in a weird way. I mean, he's a blue chicken cult guy, too. You know, so I, I'm not, this is, this is more than just hope. This is bordering on mental illness. So where does Q start and the blue chickens end, Chris Knowles? What's going on? Who do we believe now? Well, see, you know, I, I, I kind of agree with that guy. It's like, I never went for Q. Um, I didn't think that it was nearly as scabrous as the, the media seems to think. I was always puzzled by the, by the media were so up in arms about this whole thing because every time I read you know, those quote-unquote drops, it just seemed like absolute pablum to me. Uh, just really standard issue, Ronald Reagan commercial nonsense. So I, I was always just really puzzled by A, why people were so into it, and B, why people were so freaked out about it. It, it, it didn't seem worth the emotional investment either way. The blue chicken thing, I mean, oh, God almighty. I mean... I don't know how anybody takes that seriously. I mean, I remember when Wilcox started rolling Corey Good around. I was like, "Is this like, is this like a, a, a skit? Is this like, you know, evening at the Improv or something? Just, you know, more in like a punt or a candy camera kind of setting? I mean, it just, this is ludicrous." This is absolute nonsense. I, I, how can anybody even like listen to this with a straight face? Because it's just so silly. But you know, listen. I've thought about the same about a lot of things over the past you know, thirty or so years that I've been into this kind of stuff. Um, more than thirty years. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, why are people into uh, blue chickens and so on? I, I guess. I mean, maybe Wilcock is, is a good salesman for gullible people, you know, and, and Corey Good plays it very straight-faced. I, I, it, it's beyond me how anybody with moderate intelligence or moderate critical faculties could take it seriously, but I think that about a lot of things, you know? Well, to be fair to David Wilcock, he wrote a really good article called, uh, it was like an e-book. It was 90 pages long, and it was called Financial Tyranny. And in it, he describes the Marshall Plan and the Bretton Woods Agreement. And I thought it was a brilliant piece of writing. And it was very, like, grounded in, no, the World Bankers had the Bretton Woods, and this is what happened, and the Marshall Plan was set up to rebuild Europe. It was very straightforward. And then when he gets into, and i like, I agree with it. So I was, like, at level one of uh, operating Thetan on uh, David Wilcock, where I was agreeing with his uh, line. And then when you go level three is the blue chickens, I was like, wait a minute. You know, what's going on here, you know? So. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. I mean, but he was on television, you know? I mean, you, you have no idea the kind of power that television still has for certain people, you know? I mean, it, it attracts people, and it, it especially attracts people who are maybe not especially stable, and maybe the kind of people who would be 
interested in time traveling blue chickens and children being raised on Mars and stuff. I, I mean, it's just all absolute fantasy. But there, you know, there are a couple things I want to point out here. Is that one? I, I've always pointed out how like a lot of conspiracy theory, and it took me a, a while to sort of grok to this, but how a lot of conspiracy theory just advances the narrative, just in a, in a different way. Like a lot of conspiracy theory, you know, it has you believe like all the nonsense that um, that NASA puts out, you know, and a lot of UFO stuff not only advances the whole NASA line, but it also advances this whole ridiculous line that, you know, we have underground bases that are 10 miles deep and, you know, they're building time travel machines and just all this ridiculous fiction, you know, so, and really, really just science fiction. So I think with, um, you know, the blue chicken thing, it really is advancing a lot of things that the government wants people to believe who are in like that kind of milieu, who are in the conspiracy milieu, like, you know, like the space travel is real, the space program is real, um, super science is real, you know, all these kind of things, you know, all the, the things that the government wants to use to perpetuate the myth of perpetual progress, you know, that progress is ever expanding, that computing power is ever expanding that we're on this endless upslope. And this is how you keep people pacified. And they've been doing this, you know, for a very long time. You know, like the you whole world of tomorrow thing. You don't think that that's a negotiation strategy? Like, let's say you owed 50 billion, 50 trillion dollars to China. Do you think that they put out like, oh, we have time travel. Oh, we have anti-gravity. Oh, we have this. To be like, look, I know you're upset about that 50 trillion but the blue chickens are bringing time travel. So just chill out for a second with the, with the payments. <laughs> Look, I know the movie Cuties didn't make its money back, but I'm just saying, like, there's another thing going on, right? So well, well, Yeah, well, here's the thing. <clears throat> you know, all the people working on American advanced technology are mostly from China. So I think they probably know the difference. And I'm not sure that's anything that the government would be even able to use to put over this fiction on people, you know, certainly not people in, in China who pay a lot more attention to these things than we do to what they're up to. So, I also uh, I also wonder with Q if if it came from a legit place, like if they saw Joe Biden, a retarded person, steal an election with Hillary in the back eating a baby like a like a burger, and then the, she's like, oh. Go go kill these people! I can't. I don't like those eating a baby. You know what I mean? With the foot hanging out of her mouth. That the military was like, "Fuck this bitch!" You know what I mean? Like we're gonna start slowly. But then I feel like they weren't. Um, I don't know. They they kind of lost the plot from the inside when they started infighting as as the media was poking holes in Q. It was a successful thing to kind of diffuse their maybe, uh, you know, righteous anger within the military? No, see, I think what happened with, I mean, I don't know how much Q has to do with that. I, again, I think Q, with a lot of it, was just a pacification program. And I don't know who was running it. I don't know if it was people sympathetic to Trump or opposed to Trump, whatever. I, you know, I don't really care because I just, it's just one of these things that comes and goes. But the thing with Biden is, like, they were just so desperate to get rid of Trump, you know, for whatever reasons of their own, and 
you know, the Democratic Party, again, it's this whole, you know, the Democratic Party is, a, is an extremely totalitarian structure internally. It's unbelievably oppressive, and it, it's like a crab bucket, you know. They, you can't rise above that level of um, mind-controlled mediocrity, or you get destroyed. So they end up with, like, you know, Bernie being the front-runner, because he's got all the Bernie bros, and then this man, this crazy old man that all the other candidates were saying was not fit, like during the primary season, every, all the other candidates were saying, like, why is this guy on stage? He should really be in a home somewhere. You know, they were very upfront about it. But you got to go along to get along, because they really didn't want Bernie in, and they wanted to get rid of Trump, and they just have no bench. You know, the Democratic Party has absolutely no bench, because, again, the totalitarian structure um, just beats people down. You know, if you don't go along with every single solitary, you know, dictum, and, and if you're not constantly, you know, you're reading up on this moving goalpost, you know, the goalpost is constantly moving, and things that were okay to say last week and are no longer okay to say this week, um, nobody wants to be a part of that. The only people who want to be a part of that are just, you know, these soulless vessels like Beto O'Rourke and, and Pete Buttigieg. Because so, nobody else wants to do that. It, it's humiliating. It's degrading. I mean, they can go make money somewhere. So they have a major problem, and I think they're going to have a major problem in the future. So Biden is almost just like a stopgap, but it's like he's so, he's so terrible and he's so fucked up that you just wonder if he's going to bring the whole system down with him. I mean, I, I think he's going to really hurt the party in the midterms. And I just read that he's like 19 points underwater with Hispanic voters in Texas, which is just like, you know, if, if, the, if they lose Hispanic voters and they lose black men, they, they just might as well just pack it in, you know. Um, also, he, you know, I'm wondering if he's died and they got a clone or a lookalike with the fake mask because, like, first of all, in 1992 he was straight bald. Now he has hair. Now you could say, okay, he had a hair transplant surgery. But then his nose changed. Like, his nose is like, looks like Nicole Kidman's nose. He got hit. But I also, after having like aneurysms and brain surgeries, as Joe Biden done, I don't know what cosmetic surgeon would put him under for general anesthesia to fix his nose. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's like either they changed him or he's so vain. He's like, well, for this run, I need a new face, you know? So then he gets his face chopped up to look nicer. He's trying to keep up with uh, Castro in, uh, in Canada. He wants to look like Trudeau Castro. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the deal is. Why did his face look different? Listen, when you get old, shit happens to your face. I, don't, I, yeah. think, his, I think his nose looks smaller. But anyway, I, I think he has a different... Well, face. I'm sure he, he probably had work on it. You know, he seems to have had a lot of work done. He's, it's, he's obviously had facelifts. You know, he starts to have that kind of pinched look. You yeah. Know, the eyes. You know, he's clearly had a lot of work done. He's probably had Botox injections. Look, um, he has to gain of function beauty. And if you're a banker, you want to gain of function a politician, you corrupt them slowly to make sure that only the pieces of shit get through. And if you want to gain of function your soldiers, you have to do this. You know, the human soldier, you know, he has a, a problem, the human soldier. He has ethics, he has morals, he doesn't want to kill or do harm to other people. How do we gain of function him 
to shoot the person on the other side of that bunker. Oh, we call them a cockroach. We call them... So the problem is the morals and ethics of our soldiers. The solution is propaganda to gain of function our uh, soldiers into death machines. <laughs> like, the gain of function of this virus, we should manipulate it so it's more contagious. Like, this is how the establishment thinks. What, what could go wrong? <laughs> well, I mean, that's absolutely true. But again, I mean, one thing you can say about Trump is that he had a very clarifying effect. You know, a lot of things that were sort of murky and uncertain and unfixed have become clarified. So, you know, even though I'm not a big Trump fan, I, I, I do appreciate the fact that he had this effect where things that needed to be decloaked have been. And I think Biden is having the same effect. And as far as like the propaganda and so on, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's been used in, in the field of battle for ever, right? But I think that it's going to reach, I, I think it has reached. I mean, the whole thing with the forced vaccination, I think a lot of people are gonna be leaving the military or not just, you know, not enlisting. Uh, because of that, you know, there's a, a huge resistance to that whole program. And, you know, the, the, the pool of recruits they're going to have who are going to be true believers and are going to be easily propagated uh, or propagandized are going to be poor quality, you know, fighting soldiers. I don't know if you saw that there was a, I think it was a TikTok or Twitter, some email sergeant saying, oh, you know, we're the ones who are going to be coming after you. And I think, you know, every militia guy in America said, oh, well, if you're the ones who are coming after me, you know, I, I think my chances are pretty good, right? So, it, again, it's a clarifying thing. And I think this process is only going to continue. And, and maybe it's not even Trump. I mean, maybe Trump is just sort of getting the credit for it. But it's just like where we are on the timeline. You know, we're just at a point in the timeline where all the spells are failing. You know, all the magic spells that we've been under for the past 50 or 60 years are starting to uh, decay and just collapse as they always do. So propaganda, I think, is going to have its limits. You know, I mean, there are certain people who are going to be, they're, they're, they're pre-cells. They've already propagandized themselves, you know, but I don't think they're going to be very effective, certainly not in a, in a battle situation when you're dealing with fourth generational warfare, which isn't just like, you know, running onto a field and shooting tanks at each other. You know, it's a, it's a much more almost like insidious process of like street to street, house to house kind of thing, you know? And I think these people like that are gonna be very poor at it because most of these people have very high anxiety uh, burdens or, and, or low anxiety thresholds, you know, they, they might be easily propagandized, but they are also um, fundamentally cowardly. So, um, I talked to Ole Demigard on my podcast. I love that guy. Uh, he had a very interesting thing to say about the years 2018 and 2019. And I felt very strongly that uh, in 2018-19, we were coming to a point where there was a, a very strong smell of desperation from the other side. You know, they were handling, it was like very 
very poorly pulled off, uh, you know, like uh, alleged mass shootings, false flag operations, really low budget, crap, crap, crap. I mean, really not good at all. There was this feeling of absolute desperation I, I sensed. And then, boom, in just when I go, we're so close, we're so close, we're so close, you know, and, and I felt with millions of people were waking up, and there was this whole yay, and boom, in came Operation Corona. And that just knocked us into a whole different ball park that I'm still confused because before Corona, I used to have a pretty good understanding of the bigger picture. I used to have a bigger, you know, I could. Uh, foresee a lot of the things going down because I knew the modus operandi, the way they thought, the way they were communicating. After Corona, it's a whole new like, whoa, 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 whoa. And, and so there's been a lot of confusion on my part trying to, to recalibrate and see what the hell is going down here. Do you agree with that? Do you think that Operation Corona came out because too many peasants were becoming awake and aware? No. No, I think just the opposite. I, I think it's had an effect where a lot of people who had been happily uh, narcotized have snapped out of it. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, assuming that it was some sort of pre-planned agenda, that it came into point at that time because they saw the public as prime for it, you know, the public had been suitably demoralized and um, zombified. And I, I think now, like I said, you know, you're seeing France, London, New York, Melbourne, you know, you're seeing this huge resistance rising up against this, this regime. Um, I don't think they anticipated that because, like I said, I think these people live in bubbles and they don't understand how real people live or think. So, no, I don't agree with that. I, I think that, like I said, it's, it's, it's had the opposite effect. I don't think that people were becoming awake. I mean, unless you count the Q people, which I don't. I mean, I, I think that, you know, Q, if, if anything, was kind of like a good first step. It was kind of like introduction to not thinking, uh, you know, conventionally to seeing things, you know, to understanding that people speak in code and people use symbolism and, and all this kind of thing. It's like an introductory class to how the way the world really works, but I, I, I don't think that it, it was anything beyond that, you know. It's, I don't think it, it certainly didn't achieve anything, you know. Uh, July 29, 2021, the Secret Sun blog reported the gaslighting rages on and the new iconoclasts are still out there, paving the way for the onrushing technocratic dictatorships. They're all too fucking stupid to realize they're carrying out marching orders for. Some may wake up to it eventually, but it will be too late for them by then. And too late for us too, probably. I don't <laughs> I remember eleven months ago when we first talked, I left I left one of those podcasts so depressed. And, uh, you know, you're like, yes, the technocratic dictatorship's taking over. It's too late for us. What do you think, Chris Knowles? Are we doomed to this? Is there a way to resist this? Well, I think there is a way to resist it. And I, like I said, I think that the resistance is rising. So seeing people stand up against this regime has been 
very encouraging for me. You know, a lot of times when I'm writing, you know, it depends on how I'm feeling at the time. You know, sometimes I'll just feel particularly gloomy or discouraged. I mean, what I'm talking about the new iconoclast here is, you know, the whole woke thing and taking down all these stats. You know, the, the way the iconoclast would, you know, hurl down icons of Jesus and the Virgin Mary and stuff because they were Calvinists and, you know, believed that that was all idolatry. But, you know, one of the things that I've been saying and we're seeing happen is that, like, what I call Knowles's third law. And Knowles's third law is that the 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 statues, the statues that are being torn down, are going to be replaced or eventually replaced by the statues of the, the state cult. You know, and we're kind of seeing this already. Um, seeing the, these new icons, like you know, the Medusa statue at the uh, courthouse in Manhattan, and so on, and also this hideous uh, alien demon. Uh, that's installed at the uh, the Hirshhorn on the on the Capitol Mall now, so I, that's who I'm referring to with the iconoclast and you know, all this kind of woke nonsense. But you know, woke. What I said about woke is that you know the, the the state cult, which I think is a huge part of this program that we're seeing. You know, installing the state cult. You know, they're going to use woke as cover, and they have been using woke as cover to. Uh, sort of Inca cult people into this new, old, you know, the new, old, old, new uh, belief system that these people have been following in secret for, you know, a very, very long time. So, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily too late. Maybe I thought that day, I don't know, you know, I'll have to go back and see what was in the news. That was getting me kind of gloomy. Um, you know, but here's the thing. They can install this, the technocratic dictatorship, right? And it's, but it's going to fail. It's absolutely going to fail. Whatever they're planning is going to fail. Full stop. Well, no two ways about it. You know, what, whatever Klaus Schwab and, and Bill Gates and George Soros and all the rest of these people want to do, it's going to fail. It's absolutely going to fail. It's going to fail in such a way that, you know, their earth will be salted for all eternity. They're going to fail in such a catastrophic way that they will become like the new Hitlers. You know, they will be seen in that kind of like radioactive sense of like worldwide villains. But it will be even more, you know, intense because the failure will be much wider and, and even more destructive. But the hope, you know, my hope is, is that I, I just know that their power is waning. We're on the downslope. I mean, it's going to be a very slow downslope, but we're definitely on the downslope of technology. All this technology that they're promising is never going to happen. It's just never going to happen because if it was going to happen, we would have seen some sort of prototype, some sort of beta testing, something giving us some sort of indication that these things were never going to exist and they're not going to exist because they can't exist because they're all based in science fiction. And science fiction, I mean, if you go back and look at the people who write in science fiction, you would be just absolutely stunned by how many of those people were pedophiles. <laughs> and the whole idea of the future was like this new future where like the rules would change and they could have sex with kids, you know. I mean, it's just absolutely, <laughs> it's endemic among that field, believe me. It's really disturbing yeah well, so, so 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 what we have here is that we have you know a bunch of pedophiles come up with these fantasies 
of this techno utopia that they think will allow them to pursue their erotic interests and these um, science fiction fantasies sort of being taken up by the power structure for propaganda reasons, you know, particularly during the Depression and the war. And then the next generation that comes along, you know, takes them literally, takes them seriously. And then, you know, we start to have Star Trek and Star Wars. You know, I mean, speaking of which, I, you probably heard this, I don't know if you heard the story, but, you know, somebody in the Vice Squad in, in the Toronto Police Department, this is a number of years ago, but said that um, he was actually shocked by how many uh, pedophiles he was arresting who were big Trekkies, you know, that they were, uh, the Trekkies had <laughs> sort of, sort of pre predilection for uh, abuse. And, uh, you know, I mean, this is something that you see online all the time, especially all these Antifa, you know, trans Antifa Satanist pedophiles, which is how they describe themselves, by the way. I'm not, I'm not trying to cast unwanted aspersions. I mean, this is how these people identify. You know, that they believe that, you know, fascism is what is preventing them from pursuing their, their sexual appetites. And I, I start to wonder if that's all they believe that fascism is, and, you know, they don't care about the political or, or social or economic mechanisms just as long as they can pursue their interests, if you understand what I'm saying. Well, that's and why L. Ron Hubbard took to the seas. Not only was he evading tax, paying taxes, but he, he took to the seas and he had a harem of 13-year-old girls, you know, as he went around and was like, landed in Jamaica, and he's like, you don't know. 300 years ago, I was the king of Jamaica, and there were blue chickens here. You know, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> and you're right, he's like a Writer's Guild guy. He's a Writer's Guild sci-fi guy. Yeah, you know, I was involved in fandom for a long time, and I started going to conventions very young, and so on. And uh, it's it's woven into the fabric. It really is. I mean, maybe not so much now, but it's definitely woven into the, it's part of the DNA. It's part of the cultural DNA of, of science fiction and comic book fandom. Did you go in it a really kissing, is. did you go in a kissing booth with like a C-level uh, extra from Star Trek? No, well, <laughs> no, but uh, it's funny you should mention that because I remember um, going into the, uh, Church of Scientology, Boston headquarters. You know, me and my friends had just stepped outside um, of a comic book store on Newberry Street that we just, you know, had a score on. And uh, there was a guy, oh, you want to take a personality test? And then we went over to the, um, the church. I think it was on Boston Street at the time. I'm not exactly sure. But boy, what a creep fest that was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just the cognitive. You know, like, why, are they, why are they interested in, like, you know, I mean, I was like 16 or 17 at the time, so it's kind of creepy. The naivete, that's what gets their dicks hard. Um, I uh, used to, you know, I was a German exchange student. That's how I met Klaus Schwab Jr. Um, but, <laughs> um, I love German people. I love the beer. Uh, you know, the, I'm a fan of drinking beer. Um, they have something in Germany called the Rheinstahlgebot, which is the German beer purity laws. You know, not all of the insanity to purity is evil in German culture, you know? So the beer purity laws are beer has to be water, barley, he water, hops, barley, yeast, 
period. But it kind of permeates the culture where now a lot of their food is just naturally organic. They, they, you know, the purity of their food. Also, they have to pay health care for their people. So they kind of, it's good for them not to eat tons of preservatives so that they're, so like there's a light side to, to the purification that the Germans uh, go for. But there's a dark side to it as well. For example, my German exchange student, Joachim Lachenbach, came and visited me in New Jersey. I was a pimple-faced teenager, you know. I was insecure, you know. I still am, kind of. But uh, there was a beautiful girl in my class, and she was 100% French. And he thought it was really funny that me having mixed blood, he was, you know, was going for the 100% French girl. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, but your blood, it's like mixed. You're like a mutt. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, she will not go for you. She has pure, pure blood. I was like, wait, say that again? Like I said it, uh, I, I asked him to repeat it over and over again. And from then on, I didn't fuck with this person anymore. It's like, okay, uh, my parents will drive you to class, but I don't want to fucking talk to you. You know what I mean? But he was the only exchange student that was like this. The other guys were nice guys. And so not, um, oh, later, his mom, when I went to Germany, his mom was like, oh, you were bullying my son. I was like, bully? I was bullying him? No, I was being <laughs> rude to him because he's a Nazi shithead. Okay, I'm bullying him. No, that's, that's just deflecting your fucking, you know, your shitty ideas. Um, so anyway, speaking of Germans infighting, you know, Klaus Schwab is doing his thing. But then there's Dr. Reiner Fulmisch, who's, who's the resistance, leading the resistance. And he said this that this has happened and that there are these world elites who have their ideas, uh, the fight is on. And so, so do you feel positive about the fight back against huge entities that are bringing this down on humanity? Yes, I do feel positive about this um, because um, the other side, Mr. Global, as I prefer to call them now in accordance with uh, the phrase that uh, Catherine Austin Fitz is using, the other side is not very smart. I mean, they do have a few people who have a certain type of intelligence, but uh, as far as what, what we call social intelligence is concerned, as far as instincts are concerned, as far as empathy is concerned, as far as emotions in general are concerned, they don't even have access to it. And, and even though we may only be 20%, maybe 30% uh, of, of the world over, uh, this is more than enough to turn the time. Hmm. Interesting. So it's not helpful to be an uh, unempathetic sociopath when you're giving out propaganda to your sheep. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that entirely. These, you know, a lot of this wealth is inherited um, you know, a lot of these people are sort of like the idiot uh, children of, you know, gangsters who became respectable. Um, they've existed in bubbles. They've never really had a lot of real life experience. Uh, you know, a lot of them have sort of been raised like veal, so to speak. Um, they just don't have a lot of skills to deal with the inevitable collapse of their agenda, you know, because, like I said, you get onto the field of battle and the other side gets a vote, and everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And I think the difference here is that I don't think these people have a plan uh, when 
they get punched in the face. Like, they don't have a follow-up for it, because I don't think they would ever conceive that happening, because they see themselves as benevolent gods. They see themselves as, you know, superhuman beings that are above petty human foibles, you know? Well, they have perfect blood. Thirteen bloodlines have the divine right to rule. Duh. Yeah, uh, that's like first spring mild stuff. I don't really go for that. But, you know, so you've got a lot of people who um, just haven't been tried and tested, you know? It's, you know, one of the things I say about the, like, say, the insurance, I mean, <laughs> the intelligence, it might as well be insurance, right? The intelligence agencies is that it's not like, you know, the people who form these in, intelligence agencies who had, you know, grown up during the Depression and the war and had real-life experience that wasn't always pleasant. You know, they, they had a better uh, perspective on the downside of life that I think the people in charge now who are all just spoiled Ivy League kids um, for the most part who um, just have never had you know they've never been punched in the face enough or you know if they've been punched in the face it just wasn't enough you know being punched in the face is a great clarifier you know it really gives you uh, a perspective on reality that I think you know not getting punched in the face does not and I was actually, I was, I was listening to this guy, um, so he was in Iraq during, I guess, the Second War, the Iraq War, you know, in the occupation of, of Baghdad. And he said, like, the CIA guys would all come in and give them absolutely useless intelligence. You know, because CIA is supposed to come in and, and give people in the military you know, operational intelligence. You know, these guys are here, these people are here, this, this guy over here is doing this and everything like that. And they just can't do it. They just don't know what they're doing. And a lot of it is because of this, you know, very stark cultural difference. You know, like, during, like, World War II, you know, you could learn to speak German and, and learn to speak German with a convincing accent and, you know, be sent over to East Germany, over the wall, you know, to, to gather intelligence and you fit in, you know, you look like a German, and you could speak the language, and a lot of people would be sort of resentful of the government and, and help you along. But you can't take these, these fresh scrubbed Ivy League boys and put them in Iraq and expect the, you know, the native people there to feel anything but resentment and hostility towards them. Yeah. I kind of know what you mean about they're a little out of touch and they, they don't, they're not empathetic and like they're just trust fund brats. Like, for example, uh, I just want to go back real quick to Klaus Schwab's Instagram and because um, he made a post about uh, what's going on in Davos this year. So get your tickets. Hello, Instagram. It is your favorite oligarch, Klaus Schwab Jr. I want to remind you to get tickets for Davos this year. Uh, there are very good speakers. My father, Santa Klaus Schwab. Uh, Dick Cheney's and Herr Kissinger's and three or four lizards. And the topic for Davos this year is love is not real. Everything is a community. <laughs> Lots of interesting information. Yeah, so. And oh, that... I can't wait. I haven't gotten my invitation yet, but I'm, I, you know, I, I go out to the mailbox every day with a hopeful heart. Well, t it's an open forum, Davos. It's an open forum. Anyone can go there. The tickets are $250,000. Anyone can go. It's an open forum. Uh, so get... can, you, can, you, can you front me the money? Uh, um... I'll see if I can uh, pull strings with uh, my friend. Um, he also talked about uh, 
agriculture. So this is Klaus Schwab Jr. on agriculture. Hello, Instagram. It is your favorite Oligarch, Klaus Schwab Jr. I want to tell you about making farmings because it used to be that there were independent farmers who making and say what makes a tomato. And the judge used to say, well, you cannot patent the tomato because it was made from God. And then we said, but if we bribe and kill and bribe and kill and bribe and kill the judges over and over, and then we say, what about now? Can we make the tomato genetically modified? And then they said, okay, because we bought them. And then as soon as we got that loss, oh, we started changing the DNA of the slaves. And now legally, we own everyone. Oh, he seemed to give away the master plan there. Is that what's going on with the RNA technology? Huh. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> also, if you travel in the future, you'll need a digital health passport. Hello, Instagrams. It is your favorite oligarch, Klaus Schwab Juniors. I want to remind everybody to get the digital health passport from the big tech. Because, you know, the empire used to make book burnings when there was information that was not convenient for us. But now, we just shadow ban users on popular big tech networkings without a want or a reason or probable causings. And in this way, now with the digital health passport, you can only go where the oligarchy wants you to go. Just like a little puppy in an electric fence. Thank you for your participations in your own slavery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a power boner. I need a new spacesuit. Oh, he had an orgasm talking about the his control over the puppet. Oh, that's disgusting. You know. <laughs> he also talked about uh, uh, genetically modified food. Hello, Instagram. It is your favorite oligarch, Klaus Schwab Jr. I just want to remind everybody that when you have the genetically modified dry peasant feed to take small bites and chew often, this way you can produce 15% more labor for the empire. <laughs> <laughs> he seems like a psycho. I don't know if I trust this guy. Uh, yeah, he seems like a pretty nice guy. He seems pretty cheerful. Ugh, he'll like pay attractive girls, like I'll go to a bar, he'll like pay attractive girls to flirt with me just to ghost me later. You know, he just like plays games with my emotions all the time, you know, I don't know. Well, you know, sociopaths can be very personable, so. He was charming at first, he's, he's just getting weirder and weirder. I don't think those rituals at the Thule Society are really good for his uh, mental health, if I'm honest. Yeah, well, or maybe he just needs some more adrenochrome. Yeah, he well, he sells it. I know he's trying. I know he's trying to cut down. So <laughs> he always gets high on his own supply, you know. So well, that's that's his first mistake. You know, by the time he gets to Mars to give it to the Draco reptilians, there's only like two kids in the van. So it's like whatever. Um, you, well, they they've had a real windfall with all these thousands of kids uh, from Central America that have gone missing, quote unquote. Yeah, I wonder if that's why they like to start wars. You know. He did speak about um, his uncle, you know, Herr Goebbels, uh, who escaped to Argentina. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have that right here. 
Hello, Instagram. It is your favorite Ola Jack Klaus Farb Jr. I remember when I was seven years old, I was making a blood bath mit Herr Goebbels. It was okay. It was local blood in Argentina. Paper Boys was his favorite. There was even <laughs> in the blood bath a little bicycle cling out. Cling out, cling out. But uh, he was telling me about making propagandas, making the big lie. And when your sheep don't like your big lie, you tell them again. And then if they don't like it, you tell them again and again until your sheep repeat the big lie and love your lies, love your propagandas. But now we have much better tools. If you do not like our big lies, <laughs> then we will put them in nanobots. If you don't like our big lies, we will change your DNA to like our big lies. We will put the lies in your food, in your air. They are your <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, you need to take a chill pill there. Yeah, I just, it's just, when, when you're raised in this, it's like, no, you're special. You know, you have the divine right to rule, you know? And I just, uh, reading books and really focusing on uh, the, the best opinions out there is not your first priority. It's more like power and control. Yeah, the digital health passports, that is crazy to me because... Uh, I plan very much to go to Germany uh, soon, uh, well, next year, uh, and um, I got a paper passport. You know, it used to be you have a paper passport, and they put a rubber stamp on it after they, you know, but now they want big tech to take over that. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you something. All this reliance on tech uh, is a bit short-sighted because... Tech is not forever. A lot of things can happen that might bring the entire internet down. This is why I'm very um, skeptical, not necessarily skeptical, but a little bit overcautious about crypto. Because crypto really relies on a fully operational internet as we understand it now. Um, but what happens if there's, you know, a failure? What if there's some sort of failure in the, in the machine? What if there's some sort of solar event that fries all of our mainframes? I mean, I, I, I think that's unlikely, but it's allegedly possible, you know, that some sort of solar flare or pole shift or, you know, this is a very volatile planet. What, what could happen that might just bring the whole system down? You know, and we're back to like square one. And if that happens, the entire ruling class are just basically dog food and they might as well just you know i know know a lot of them are buying islands in fiji and stuff but if god forbid there ever is some worldwide internet or electronic collapse or failure i i wouldn't want to be in their shoes i really wouldn't and i especially not want to be in the shoes of their their bootlickers and their errand boys so, there you go. Uh, you know, I, but, you know, I am, like, but I am hopeful. See, like, I'm hopeful either way. So, it's like, either this awakening, and I hate to use that word because it's kind of like a cute word, but either this just like, people snapping out of their spells is going to just really either put the brakes on this whole agenda or just throw enough speed bumps in front of it that they kind of give up and have to go back to the drawing table. Or 
you know, the oligarchs win, they put in their worldwide system, it's utterly insane, it totally collapses, it totally fails, you know, they are all just thrown into wood chippers, and we just sort of have to start again. And, you know, we're going to have like a few centuries of warlords and, and infighting and so on, but, you know, hopefully we'll be able to build something better after this. But, um, you know, but either way, I mean, it's just how much pain are we willing to tolerate? So, uh, but again, I just, I don't think this stuff is going to work, and I'm hoping, and I'm, I'm actually, you know, more hopeful now that I have been, that it, it's going, they're going to get the message, you know, they're just going to see that, like, oh, you know, maybe the rabble can't be pushed forever, you know, maybe we can't push them in to these corners that we've been doing, you know, we've got to maybe let up a little, you know? Um, it was kind of dystopic to watch the Olympics. First of all, I guess they painted all these. Oh, yeah. They painted all these gymnasiums 2020, but we're watching it in 2021. So I guess it was too much money to change the paint on the floor of the basketball court. Uh, Olympics 2020. No, it's 2021. Yeah, but it's Olympics 2020. Very strange. Um, and to, I was reading your blog about this, and how much money did they lose not having, not having spectators in, in the audience? Well, I, I don't know how the Olympics is going to carry on. I mean, people have been losing inter interest in the Olympics for a, a long time. And, like, the popularity of the Olympics that we know today is sort of a function of, like, war. You know, because, like, Hitler started this whole thing in 36, and then... The Cold War, you know, you had the superpowers slugging it out on the, on the field of sport. But I, I think the interest has really waned, and particularly a lot of these events are just so absurd, particularly in the winter sports. And, you know, people just have no interest in watching it. And I think they've just been cutting the budgets, and I think they, they had to have accounted for something to happen with this Olympics, you know, and they spend all this money, they spend all this taxpayer money building these stadiums and these villages and so on. Uh, and it seems like a, a colossal waste, but, you know, a lot of times they can repurpose them and, and use them for something else. But I just think like what we saw was not only just a function of this weird COVID thing, but also just where the Olympics are in the public consciousness and also this desire, like I say, to keep wheeling out all this symbolism for the, for the new state cult, you know? Okay, well, the Olympics is a washout. Nobody cares. Nobody's watching it. Well, why don't we just, you know, field test some of the symbolism? I mean, nothing will probably ever beat the 2012 Olympics. <laughs> British government really went uh, whole hog with uh, taking every, you know, sim demonic symbol out of the kit bag that they could manage. Yeah. They had a giant but, puppet of Jimmy Savile going around hospital beds. Whoa. I know, Whoa. I know. It's just like the whole thing was just so surreal and sick. But, um, you know, I just think it, it was all just like very downbeat, downscale. I just found the whole thing depressing. You know, I, I, I found like the Olympics kind of entertaining in a strange way, you know, particularly when they start wheeling out all the symbolism, like I said. But this year, it just seemed like so half-assed and so dispirited and just like, oh, whatever. And I think they're going in the wrong direction. Like the Lithuania girls volleyball team 
wanted to have thongs in their butts. And then the Olympic Committee fined them for having too skimpy of clothing. That's when I got out of my chair and I started yelling at my TV. Let them yeah, dress like whores. What are we doing yeah. here? Ratings. Step too far. Um, listen, what are you going to do? Uh, it's, a lot of this, like I said, is not only a function of the Cold War, but it's also like the networks. You know, The Olympics used to be big like back when I was a kid because there wasn't really a lot else to watch. No, nobody cares anymore. There's other things to pay attention to. And these sports are just ridiculous, and there's no context for it, you know? I mean, like, the whole globalism idea almost defeats the purpose of the Olympics and the World Cup and all these kind of, like, nationalistic games because, you know, we're all supposed to be one undifferentiated blob of protoplasm. You know? so, <laughs> the ever-changing gender. Look, gender is a construct. I keep saying this. Sunday, July 25th, 2021. The Secret Sun blog reported, Cryptomithraism gets less cryptic at the Tokyo Olympics. They weren't exactly subtle with the Masonic stuff. Maybe the time for the subtlety has passed and the gloves are now off. Either way, the combination of blatant symbolism and empty stadium was a bit, shall we say, disconcerting. I realize there's a lot of speculation about the checkerboard motif. But my current pet thesis is that it's representation of the blinking on and off the agle. What does that mean? Agle is um, it's the star in Perseus in Medusa's head that seems to be very important to Freemasonry and other secret societies. And the um, ancient Egyptian star is the Eye of Horus. You know, it blinks on and off. It's like a binary star. And um, the dark and light. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it is. But I'm always open to a compelling counter theory. Nemesis has feasted long and well on their hubris, and they know, I guarantee you right now, they all fucking know that payback is going to be a raging motherfucker of unparalleled since the days of Atlantis. Trust your instincts. Do, not, do you get the sense that one world types are in any way happy, confident, or optimistic about the unparalleled stranglehold they have on every meaningful institution in the Western world. That's interesting. Do you think they're bored and they're like, you know, we once we own everything, there's no counter opinion anymore. So now it's like, look, you get sick of your sycophants after a while because you realize they're not being honest with you. Well, see, this is the thing when I talk about how, like, the strange phenomenon of all these moguls and tech giants and so on buying bolt holes, basically, in very remote parts of the world, you know, specifically uh, the South Pacific, New Zealand, Rocky Mountains. Um, that's not a, a, a sign of confidence in their objectives. You know, I mean, it could well be, it could well be that they realize by now that it's not going to work. You know, the smart cities and the surveillance state, on and on and on, genetic manipulation, um, whatever the uh, agenda, this, like I said, this whole science fiction agenda that was dreamed up by pedophiles uh, back in the 1920s and then bled into the, the system and became science fact for some bizarre reason. 
you know, they realize that none of this stuff is going to work, that, you know, scientists who have been telling them that, you know, nanobots and all the super science is going to be operational, relying all along for the, for the grant money. You know, we've had the replication crisis when we discovered that actually most of the science and technology uh, experiments that are being done are fraud and fraudulent and can't be re reproduced. Um, I, I think there is a tremendous amount of anxiety that these plans are not going to work. So that the question then becomes, I mean, are they going to do the wise thing, the human thing, and change course, or are they going to be violently deposed by the, the masses, or will, you know, they just try to push these dead plans over the finish line, you know, a la Weekend at Bernie's, and um, watch the whole thing just blow up in their faces and end up being, you know, fed into um, wood chippers by their security forces. So, I, it's, I think the, the outlook is all bad. And it's just a question of like, do you let go of your ego and your childhood nerd boy fantasies and try to build a better world for everyone? Or do you just cling on to them and watch everything blow up in your face? And, you know, it is weird that Klaus Schwab Jr. comes out dressed like Emperor Palpatine in front of a podium with all these ancient symbols on it, and he announces his future corporate takeover, um, which is every, uh, in, it involves changing the DNA of his slaves, putting a chip in everybody, uh, uh, up blockchaining humans on capital markets so he can speculate on their labor like this, when it goes against everything the Nuremberg Code was about. You cannot coerce or intimidate someone to take an experimental medical intervention. Nuremberg well, Code. Uh, well, this country has been breaking the Nuremberg Code since the Nuremberg Code was written. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've been doing uh, genetic and psychological and radioactive, I mean, you name it. We've been, we've been carrying Mengele's flag with, uh, with great vigor for the past 70-odd years. So, I mean, I don't think they think that's any obstacle to the fulfillment of their fantasies. I don't hate the medical industry. For example, when I was 12 years old, I had a compound fracture on this arm, and, you know, my ulna snapped out of my forearm here, and then they put plates on it, and I'm quite thankful that somebody put my arm together. Uh, I recently saw a, you know, 15-year-old kid uh, try to do the milk crate challenge where he stepped up a pyramid of milk crates and what happened well he got to the top he fell sideways and snapped his arm on the side of a milk crate and he was going ah, ah, going around with this with his radius hanging out his arm um, I, I look at that in our current medical system and I go ugh geez like he's got to go to a hospital this is a life or death injury at this point you know why did, why did whoever leave these milk crates there where everyone's getting knocked out and horrible, horrible injuries and people are laughing and putting it on Instagram, the schadenfreude of watching uh, people injure themselves very badly on this. Um, I also got Lyme disease uh, in 2020, summer of 2020. I got bit and I had a big bullseye on my belly. And God, I'm glad I went into urgent care and they immediately gave me the, the really strong antibiotics to uh, acutely uh, to get rid of the Lyme disease, right? So I don't hate 
the medical industry. There's certain parts that like. Oh, I don't hate it. I don't hate it either. But I've also been on the other side of that when I was being used as a guinea pig for all these fucked up off-label uses of medications that just basically made everything that I was experiencing a hundred times worse. So, hmm. you know, it's, it's, you know, everything is a mixed bag, you know, there's, there's no purity, there's no one way that's going to solve everything. Everything is a negotiation. Everything requires us to think critically. Everything needs to be evaluated. So, I mean, medical science has done great things. Uh, it's done a lot of not great things, you know? I mean, medical science are the same people who would um, feed kids, uh, you know, mentally handicapped, severely mentally handicapped kids in, like, state homes. They would make them eat um, shit laced with hepatitis, okay? Um, they would put that in their oatmeal. So, uh, or would conduct radioactive experiments on pregnant women or we'd feed like little black kids in orphanages um, unbelievable doses of, of LSD. And this is before the war. This is in the 1930s. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, it's after the war because uh, LSD hadn't been invented yet. But no, so like after the war, you know, again, breaking the Nuremberg Code and, and, and pumping, you know, the most vulnerable in our society with sickening amounts of very dangerous drugs. So listen, I mean, medical science does a lot of great things and it's also done a lot of not great things. You know, it's, it's a mixed bag, just like everything in life is. And this is why you need to think critically and stay conscious and avoid the traps of ideology and cultism. Yes, and I, I, the more I talk to you, the more I get to know you, I know that your mental health is a moving target. Um, someone who you uh, learned a lot from, and I have somebody in the background, a, an, an insider, Illuminati insider, fringe narrator of the inside of the, the circus, the traveling circus known as government, is Tracy Twyman. You were friends with her. You didn't meet her face to face, did you, or was it all over the internet? Well, you know, there was one time we were going to meet face-to-face because she was living outside of Pittsburgh, and I was going to a convention in Pittsburgh. And that was going to, you know, because we had been talking on the phone at, at that time. And it's like maybe 2008, 2007, 2008, around there. Um, but, I, you know, I did her, her radio show back when she was on AM radio, when she was on terrestrial radio back in 2008 or 2009, I believe. And uh, then, you know, we kept in touch. We did some, we collaborated on some things, like I was on her podcast a couple times, and then I did an interview with her and put that on my blog. And then back on Facebook, you know, we, we talked a lot on Facebook and then we talked a lot on Skype. So we never actually met face to face, but you know, one thing that I've discovered when you have that kind of interaction with people online and on Skype and so on. It's like when you actually meet them face to face, it's like such a total anticlimax. <laughs> it's just like, oh yeah, there you are. You know, just the same person I've been talking to, or whatever. But you know, I talked to her um, just before she disappeared. You know, just she en- entered her last sort of downward spiral, and uh, we had a great talk. Uh, and it's really discouraging to me because I was going to be on her show that week. 
and she wanted to just sort of talk over a bunch of stuff, and we talked for like two hours, and she just, you know, she seemed really, she seemed really good. You know, she was just talking a bit about the, well, maybe that was the time we talked before, I don't know. I mean, you know, we, we, we kept in contact over the years, and, until she, um, was basically dropped out of sight. Yeah, and, and, and the, the strangest thing is uh, that she was trained by Nicholas DeVere, and so was my friend uh, James Robert Wright, who, uh, you know, the last time I saw him, he was in front of uh, a court uh, in the Frank Crowley building in Dallas, uh, you know, in a jumpsuit handcuffed. Um, <laughs> what, what, one thing that he told me that I always think about is the Dallas Scottish Wright building has an underground tunnel to the Frank Crowley Courthouse. Frank Crowley Courthouse, Crowley Courthouse, is at 133 North Riverfront Drive. And there's an underground tunnel for the Masons to uh, creepily go. And, um, and my friend James Wright would say, yeah, what, back in the day when all of the judgments were only on paper, before print, you know, that the, the creeps and the Masons would go under if they had a, let's say a lawsuit didn't go your, your way, they would go uh, in the underground tunnel, go to Frank Crowley Courthouse, go right in the back office, change the book or rip the, rip the paper off where they lost the case. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, we know that the, the Freemasons have been very much uh, prominent part of the legal system since this country was founded, and before that in England, and they still are in England, that the, the courts and the lawyers and the police, you know, I mean, that's a huge part of the Masonic membership. And he um, was, uh, my friend James Wright, was living homeless on a park bench. Uh, maybe he had a car at one point. Well, a homeless guy on a park bench, uh, like official federal cops arrested him and flew him to Dallas so he would be charged in the Dallas Frank Crowley building with the underground tunnel to the Mason, to the Dallas Scottish Wright where he used to work. So it's uh, like... Details well, like there that. you go. I mean, I, I don't know what he was involved in, but I'm sure he pissed them off in a special way. So They fly him back to the courthouse where they have the underground tunnel to the building he used to work in. One thing also he really, that he told me so much stuff, like, you know, the, the Scottish Rite degree earnings, it's like a Shakespeare play. You watch a Shakespeare play, you know, and, and of, you know, Mithras and this one and that one. Uh, Hiram Abiff gets knocked on the head. It's all Shakespeare plays, you know, and you, you would eat like, you know, salmon on toast and you would watch these old pedos perform these, these plays. And, um, but he said, you know, that term smoke and mirrors, like the, the curtains were on conveyor belts. Like there was like a button where a curtain would blast open and then there was a button where this and that. So I'm like, when I wonder, when he would also describe that there was this weird fucking box where you would open it up and a genie would come out. Some of it I'm like, is how much of that was stagecraft? How much of the, the witchcraft was a, a mass hallucination? How much of it was smoke and mirrors and how much of it is real? You know? Uh... It's hard to say, but one thing that I find very interesting is that the Dallas Scottish Rite building is right near the giant golden statue of Mithras, which is itself right near uh, Dealey Plaza, so um, it's a very interesting alignment. You can sort of draw a straight line from the Scottish Rite, you know, right to the AT&T building, right to the um, <laughs> Dallas Book Depository. 
And in, in between the Dallas Scottish, uh, in between the, the Book Depository and Dealey Plaza is this weird cube, um, modern art cube, that has every lie of the official narrative of the JFK assassination in it, in stone, going, no, Lee Harvey Oswald shot Kennedy from the Book Depository in stone, this massive, like, uh, Georgia Guidestone of lies is right there. Just in case you're wondering does, who did Does that it. surprise you? I mean, am I supposed to be surprised by that? Am I supposed to be shocked? Right on a ley line, you know, to gather energy for their propaganda. These guys aren't, you know, they, they, they're, they're crazy, but they actually <laughs> they, they have these weird plans. They follow their, their religion. Well, I'll tell you something. One thing that I've really, I'm going to give you, a, uh, your listeners, a sneak preview of this. You're going to be the first to hear about this. Um, my latest insane connection. But I really do, so people talk about the Luciferians, right? And that always really bothered me, because I'm like, who are the Luciferians? What are their texts? Where do they meet? Where are their buildings? You know, it's just like this floating, almost like chimera, you know? This specter. And it always really bothered me, because it's like, oh, the Luciferians are doing this. I'm like, who are the Luciferians? Like, who are they? Who identifies themselves as a Luciferian that isn't just some loser at an OTL lodge? You know, oh, you're, you're talking about the OTO, which I call um, a, the haven for um, dumpy sex pests. Uh, but, like, who are, the, who are the Luciferians? Like, what do they believe? You know, how do they identify themselves? But now what I've really come to believe is that, you know, everything you've heard about Lucifer, which is not much, but, you know, everything that you can find in, in legitimate sources, I realize that it's describing Mithras. That the myth of Lucifer is really about how Mithras was deposed as the god of the elite when the, the Roman Empire adopted, you know, Roman Catholicism as its state religion. Okay, so everything like, you know, all the symbolism and, and this particular symbolism here, this the golden statue right near the Dallas Scottish Rite building and right near Dealey Plaza, I mean, that golden statue is actually Mithras Phanus, Phanus, P-H-A-E-N-S, but Phanus is also very contiguous with the actual Lucifer, which who, who is phosphorus. So Lucifer is actually, you know, he represents the morning star, and the Greek name for Lucifer was Phosphorus. So there's all this symbolism connected to Phosphorus. But it's also connected to Phanus, who is sort of like the, almost like the androgynous rendering of his character. But Phanus is in turn, you know, uh, identified with Mithras. So the thing that I realized, that everything, when they talk about the Luciferians, and they sort of make, you know, people, the way that this has been passed down to us, a lot of it through, you know, really bad conspiracy theory stuff, but it's all describing Mithras. And this is why you see Mithras carrying the flame in Rockefeller Center. Let's say call Prometheus, and Prometheus is also, you know, it's, it's very confusing. Ancient religion is extremely confusing, which is why I think Christianity appealed to a lot of people. But um, the Statue of Liberty, which is uh, trans-Mithras, and then I, I just found out that um, the Jesuit, University in St. Louis has another transmithris at, at its gates. <laughs> it really has a, has a transmithris at its gates with the wings and the serpents and everything. 
I mean, it's the most demonic thing you've ever seen in your life, and it's at the gates of a nominally Catholic university. But, um, and then, you know, the Mithraic Temple that Michael Bloomberg put in his basement at his headquarters in London. So this is what I realized, that all the symbolism that is nominally or inaccurately attached to this Lucifer or to these Luciferians is really describing a character that we know and that we have documentation on called Mithras and the Mithraists, okay? Because Lucifer itself is not a name, it's a title. It's a title that means the light bringer, right? And in early Christianity, Jesus Christ is identified as Lucifer. Jesus Christ is the morning star, as he said, you know, I am the, I am the morning star, he says in the book of Revelations. And also, um, there were certain Catholic uh, liturgies that where Jesus was called Lucifer, called the light bringer, the light bearer, the morning star. Okay, but this other figure, you know, I'm really starting to believe now, very solidly, because it all lines up that that, that character is Mithras. And that's why we see all this uh, adoration of Mithras in very public places now. Yeah, the current uh, initiate who, who takes over, like Lucifer, if it's an initiate, if it's a title, if it's a degree earned, then Lucifer lives on earth. And when he dies, he passes the title to the next person who runs the world. No, but it's not even, it's not even a title or initiate, it's like the light. You know, so Mithras is the god of light, you know, originally, or Mithra. So Mithra is originally the Zoroastrian god of light. So he brings the light. I mean, you see all these depictions of, Luth of um, Mithras being born from the rock with the sword and the light. So he's the light bringer. He's the one bringing the light. Is the light knowledge? It's whatever. You know, whatever they ascribe this to. It's, you know, arcane knowledge or spiritual possession. I mean, who the hell knows? Stuff gets so convoluted. This is the thing, like, when you get into this stuff, it's just like, you get a lot of, like, very strange people with very borderline mental states involved in this stuff. You know, people like Michael Aquino. And, you know, I guess if you say Lon Milo, again, I can't, I can't attest to that. But it's just like a bunch of fucking weirdos. And weirdos and sex pests. You know what I mean? And, like... These, they, they, they've never met a guy named Mithras, you know, like a guy who just comes up to him and says, Hi, I'm Mithras, or I'm Lucifer, or I'm whoever. You know, they've never, like, had, these are all just like spiritual inclinations that they, they pin these labels on. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I but, think it's, it's infighting. It's like, no, it's my turn to be God King because I have the light credentials. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's something that, again, you know, we, we saw it most recently at the Olympics. And it's this whole idea, like the trans Mithras, you know, because Mithras was, the cults of Mithras were very much conjoined with the cults of Kybel, and all the, all the priests of Kybel were trans, right? They were all um, eunuchs and cross-dressers, okay? So I think that's what a lot of this stuff now is. And this is what I'm saying, like, everything that we're seeing, like, people are going, where the hell did this come from? Like, this weird social movement or this weird kind of thing popping up, like, how has this become a thing? Well, it's become a thing now because you didn't read your history and realize that this was a thing 2,000 years ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is something that 
people took for granted. And it's just reappearing because, you know, maybe the, the things that were sort of putting the brakes on it, which was the church or some sort of conventional religious knowledge, such as it is, I mean, you know, certainly you know, the church is just, the, the Catholic church, I mean, all the churches are, are riddled with weirdos and plants and moles and so on. But that was kind of putting the brakes on, at least in the mind of the public. And now that the public has been, you know, just dereligionized, de right? They've been secularized, but they've also been demoralized. You know, now all this stuff can come out. Like now that what the true agenda is, which is the religious agenda, can come out. Because like I said, technology doesn't mean anything. Technology is a means to an end, you know? It's like technology is your car that you take from point A to point B, but it's the destination that's the point, not the car. You know, I mean, the car is just a vehicle that gets you there. And that's all technology is, because the ends are sorcerers. The ends are religious. Their, their mindset is religious. Their mindset is sorcerous. Um, that's what makes the world go round, as it's currently, um, you know, as it's currently built, as it's currently arranged. But this will end, you know, this will end and something else will come along. And whatever comes along next will be seen as a liberator and they'll become his oppressor, because that's just the way human nature is. The liberators always become oppressors, you know, and the oppressors then become liberators. It's just, everything is cyclical. Everything just goes round and round, yeah. Speaking of yes, speaking of ancient symbolism, um, you know, when I look at Klaus Schwab Jr. in front of the podium, dressed like Emperor Palpatine, I think he looks like a Star Trek character. But you went very much into the symbolism, not only on his podium, but on his lapel, this wheel that goes round, and the sheep with the cross. What is all this stuff? Well, that's see, that's Mithraic. It's the Mithraic sun. You know, specifically Mithraic solar icon, and it's not a sheep, it's a bull. You know, so that's the, the Tarochtony. You know, so that's just another example. I mean, people see this all the time, see this Mithraic iconography all the time, but because this is so obscure, they don't really recognize it. But once you just understand the very, very simple basics of the, of the icons, you just see it everywhere. I mean, it's literally just everywhere. So, yeah. um, there you go. I, the, the threshold of UT, uh, where the phallic uh, main building is in the background of Mithras as well, University of Texas. Um, awesome. Um, uh, you know, if only someone saw this coming, if only someone saw the pandemic plan coming. Oh, wait, the Secret Sun predicted this Friday, November 17, 2017, in an article written called the microbes are ready 27 examples of mainstream media predictively programming us for a pandemic to wipe out the undesirable invasive species hmm <laughs> so how'd you know you just saw and i saw i read this article 27 articles going a pandemic could take away all the people on unemployment a pandemic could take away all the people without a skill a pandemic could take away all the useless eaters. Well, I guess the mainstream news had different, slightly different headlines than that, but um, you were watching this happen in 2017, huh? Yeah, I guess I was. But you know what else? I mean, did you watch the X-Files? Um, 
Some of it, not every episode, not religiously. I wasn't going to conventions like you, but uh. Okay, but you, no, no, not not the series itself, but when they did the reboot in twenty sixteen. No, I didn't see it. And it was all about the um, engineered virus and the plan, pandemic, so to speak. Well, you're uh, a, you're a Nephilim, so you can see this. This is just your religion, right? Well, it's it's beyond religion. It's just my consciousness. You know, I, I can sense these things. Yeah. You know, because the other Nephilim just send me the mind rays that telepathically that give me the uh, give me the knowledge that I need. That's handy. And, oh, it's very handy. It's very <laughs> handy indeed. I, I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, it, I have to pay like a monthly fee, but <laughs> um, yeah, access fee. That, yeah, that reminds me of uh, your your. Your secret institute of the advanced synchromysticism starts at only $3 a month, people. You could get this guy all his work. Um, but I want to talk about the vaccine agenda. Is this government Jonestown massacre? Does the bloodline... Uh, I, I wonder if some of... If they're triaging the population with the vaccines. I wonder if they're going just like uh, uh, trains going to Auschwitz. Oh, you have a skill? Oh, you are uh, orthodontist. Oh, interesting. Okay. Here's the saline solution. You know, oh, what are you doing? Oh, you are a clock baby. Okay, here's the job. You know, I wonder if that's going on. You know, I, here's the thing. I can't speak to a lot of that stuff because I'm a real stay in your lane guy. You know, I'm really about, like, I look at the, the symbolism and the religious aspect of it, the occult aspect of it, and all that kind of stuff. It's like, I try to stay out of, like, things based on science or sociology and, and things like that, other than just very basic speculations based on the symbolism, because, like, I, I just don't know. I, I really don't know. And I don't want to be the kind of guy who, like, is the world's foremost authority on everything, you know? To me, it's like I want to know the truth more than I want to be right, you know? I want to know what's actually going on. So I don't know what's going on, man. I, I really don't. I, and I, I don't know if we're going to know for a while. You know, time is the great, you know, it's the great clarifier. The passage of time reveals, it, it strips away the mask, it strips away the illusions. So wherever this is going, I don't know. But, um, you know, th there's vaccine mandates. Um, Congress and all their staffers are exempt from it. Uh, the post office is exempt from it, and the post office is the federal agency that has the most direct contact with the general populace, you know, at least on that scale. I mean, it may be like the, the VA, people in the Veterans Administration, might, in the hospitals and such, but, you know, certainly post office are coming into contact on a, on a daily basis with the general public. So I, I just don't know. I really don't know. I don't know what's going on. Um, and I, and I hesitate to speculate because I've seen so many predictions come and go. I really have. I've seen a lot of things, people just saying, oh, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. You know, whether it's people in the sort of conspiracy underground or in the mainstream media. And like so many models have failed and so many predictions have failed. I, I don't want to join. You know, I don't want to hop on that bandwagon. I'm just going to stick to, you know, what I know, which is the symbolism and the synchronicity and all this kind of stuff. So I don't sound like any more of an asshole than I sound like already, you know. <laughs>
This has been episode 316 of Highway Diary. You can find Chris Knowles. Well, he has obsessive compulsive disorder, which gives him superpowers. And he downloads things from the Nephilim. Uh, he has supernatural ability to find Freemasonic and occult symbolism in popular culture. His retirement plan, as he told me on a phone call last week, was he's going to be an old sage in a shack, shitting in jars and reading the tea leaves. He'll just be the weird old guy who just knows everything. Um... His books are The Endless, American Midnight, He Will Live Up in the Sky, Clash City Showdown, Our Gods Wear Spandex, and The Secret History of Rock and Roll. Chris Knowles writes The Secret Sun blog and The uh, Secret History of Rock and Roll blog. Uh, he is a wizard professor at the Secret Sun Institute of Exam Advanced Synchromysticism. Starts at $3 a month. Uh, you, my plugs are you go to ericcollarbuck.com, check out my uh, stand updates. Uh, I'm not going to be in Vegas October 16th with Sam Tripley and Adi Bravo. I can't, can't get booked on that show. Klaus Schwab Jr. is going to do 7 p.m. and 9.30 uh, at Diversion Amusements in Las Vegas October 16th. We have a sponsor for the show, ACBD Remedy. You can get cannabis oil at acbdremedy.com. And if you use the promo code ERIC, that's E-R-I-C, you will get 20% off. I don't like saying this. I don't like his message. But uh, Klaus Schwab Jr. sponsors the program, too. Uh, so I just have to plug at Klaus Schwab Jr. on Instagram. I do not support anything he says there. Uh, thanks to my guest, Chris Knowles. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, we're stopping recording and...